All right, all right. It's good to see your faces. My name is uh, Pastor. Oh, hello. My name is Pastor JP. I serve as a college pastor here at Omega, and I, it's been a it's been a while since since preaching the word, and I'm excited. I'm excited today. So we're doing this gospel. Uh, we're doing this uh, Galatians series, and it's a 13 part series on Galatians. That's a lot. 13 part, right? Uh, today in the morning prayer meeting, I was sharing an, an example uh, with uh, the people at the swim, and now we're talking about we're talking about detox, right? We're talking about detox. Raise your hand if you've ever done a detox before, right? Have you ever done the one where you drink the the shot of apple cider vinegar, right? Well, anyways, there's this detox where you get a shot of apple cider vinegar and you drink it once a day. And it's supposed to detox all the, all the, all the bad stuff out of your system, right? And I was reminded how uh, when, I, when I did this before, the first time I did it, when I drank that shot of uh, apple cider vinegar, like an hour later I had to run to the bathroom because I was on the runs, right? I don't know if you've experienced it before. And then for the next couple days, every time I drank that apple cider vinegar, I had to go to the bathroom right away because all the bad stuff in me, it just, it just came out, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be graphic, right? Do not use your imagination. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because I feel like for our church and us as individuals, God is detoxing us as a church. And God is detoxing us as individuals because we're going through Galatians, and Galatians is what the gospel is about. And every time this 13-part series, I feel like it's a shot of apple cider vinegar. We're, we're drinking that good stuff. We're drinking down that gospel. And the, all the stuff, that gunk in us, that is not natural to us, that is not good for us, it's being flushed out. Right? So that's why I love this series. Because each time, this 13-part series, um, I feel like every Sunday, it's been so good so far. You guys been loving it? It's been good? Yeah. And each time, I feel like, at least for me, I, I walk away and I'm like, man, like God exposed another thing in my heart that needs to be rooted out. And God's doing that here today. So today is part four of our series on Galatians. If you missed the first three, or if you're not going to be able to join us for the next couple of weeks, we have the series on podcasts, on the New Philly podcast, so please check it out there. Galatians. So, in my life as a Christian, I've read Galatians multiple times, many times. Growing up in Sunday school, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians, Galatians, Galatians. Even in seminary a couple years ago, one of my classes was based on the book of Galatians. For the whole semester, we just studied Galatians. But, I find it very humbling nowadays that today, these days, Galatians is becoming so much more crucial for me these days. It's weird. It's weird because I've read Galatians so many times. I've studied Galatians in class. But for some reason, it's in this season where I feel like it's applying to my life. It's applying to our church. You see, there's something happened. Something that happens in our hearts when we read scripture and the Holy Spirit breathes on the scripture. And the scales of of our spiritual eyes begin to fall off and then we have those aha moments. And I really pray that as we go through Galatians, 
the Holy Spirit will continue to do that for us. Many of us, maybe we've read Galatians many times. But I really hope and pray that even today, even today, Holy Spirit would begin to breathe on the scriptures and release revelation in each and every one of our hearts. Amen? You guys want that, right? So let's, let, me, let me pray for us real quick. So Holy Spirit, we invite you here today. And we ask for something beyond a transfer of information. But we ask that your word would cut our hearts deep. So Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon your truth and reveal Jesus to us. Reveal the gospel to us in deeper ways, God. The things that we may know in our minds, let it sink down into our hearts today, we pray. So we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, <clears throat> Pastor Myungwa, she preached a message titled, Saul to Paul. Right? In this message, she talked about the testimony of Paul's radical salvation. His radical conversion. And she reminded us that Paul, he was a persecutor of Christians. He had legalistic devotion to the T. He was infamous for, for, for persecuting Christians, killing Christians for their faith. Paul, he had a stacked spiritual resume. Everybody knew him as the guru when it came to the Jewish law. Paul, and then he encountered the man Jesus on the road to Damascus, on Damascus Road. He encountered the man Jesus through a light that shined on him. And the scales of his eyes fell off and he began to see. And the voice, Jesus began to speak to Saul and say, Hey, why are you? Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you killing my people? Why are you hurting my people? And it's at that revelation right there on Damascus Road, where his name changed from Saul to Paul. Where Jesus delivered him from self-dependence. Where Jesus delivered him from self-righteousness. At that moment, we learned last week, that it's at that moment when he encountered Jesus, that his whole spiritual resume and everything that he'd been working for, he confesses himself. It's all trash. It all amounts to nothing. Everything that I've worked for, everything that I've done in my life to build up this reputation, it all amounts to nothing just like that. So I'm sure he was grieved. But at the same time, in his, in his heart, he rejoiced. Because he was delivered from self-effort for his own salvation. Radical legalism unto radical grace. That's the life of Paul. He shared his testimony to the church in Galatia. So last week, the sermon was largely focused on Paul, the author of Galatians. But this time around, in this story, we're going to switch gears and focus on another man. And this other man, I love this guy because I really, really relate to him. And if we were to be honest, a lot of us would relate to him as well. And this man, his name is Peter. I love Peter. Right? Let me paint the backdrop a little bit more before we go into the passage. Let me paint a picture for you guys of what is going on here as a review. So what's going on is 
This is a letter of loving rebuke. Paul is writing to, this is a circuit letter, which means that this letter that Paul is writing is going to multiple churches in the region of Galatia. All right? And so, as this is being circulated, the tone of this letter, letter he's angry. He's angry and he is frustrated. Why? Because these people called the Judaizers, they came through to the churches of Galatia that Paul started. Paul started these churches. And then when Paul left, these Judaizers, they came to this church and they started saying what? They started saying, it's great that you believe in Jesus. That's cool. But you know what? In order to be saved, in order to be justified, in order to be in right standing with God, not only, okay, go ahead and believe in Jesus, but also be circumcised. Also, follow the law. In essence, what they're saying, Jesus plus something. Jesus plus our effort leads to our salvation. And Paul was angry because the church in Galatia, they started believing this. In essence, this is another way of putting it. This is what the Judaizers were saying. Hey, you can believe, believe in Jesus. Jesus, he paid it all. Jesus, he paid the bill. But you guys, you guys pay the tip. Pun intended. I don't know if you call it. You guys pay the tip. Get circumcised, all right? Get circumcised. <laughs> right? Now you guys got it. Now you guys got it, right? Jesus paid it all, but you guys do a little something extra. Pay a little something extra, right? Get circumcised. Obey the law. That'll lead to your salvation. In essence, that's what it's talking about. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. It took a while to come up with that, all right? <laughs> so, this gospel, we learned even two weeks ago, this gospel, Paul says to the Galatians, hey, this is not made up by me. I didn't make this good news up. It's something that I encountered Jesus himself. This gospel is not Paul's gospel. This, not is any, this gospel is not any man's gospel. This gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And him alone. And that's what he's communicating to them. And then, and then Paul says this. Paul says, after he encountered God, you know what he did? It says, for three years, he went away. For three years, he went away. Why? Can you imagine, after that radical encounter, the, the adjustments that Paul would have to make in his life? Can you imagine... He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, legalistic to the max, and all of a sudden figuring out that this amounted to nothing, all of a sudden receiving this revelation of grace, that I used to kill Christians, now he's accepting me purely by grace. What are the implications of this? I believe that in these next three years, he did not go to other people. He did not go to the apostles to confirm, is this right? He went to go seek for himself and go deeper into the gospel himself. And he began to adjust his operating system. You know, it's like going from a, I shared this before. It's like going from a, 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 a Microsoft to an Apple, you know. It's like going from an Android to an to Apple. You, you, you change, I'm sorry, guys, for those who are a Microsoft fan. It's like changing your OS, and when you change your operating system, it takes a while to adjust. 
I believe that that's what Paul was doing. Some major adjustments those three years. After those three years, you know who he, you know who he meets up in Jerusalem? He meets up Peter. He meets up Peter for 15 days. And can you imagine their conversation? They're both Jews. I bet you anything, all they did was talk about Jesus. Why? If I was Paul, who encountered Jesus through the revelation, through the light, I want to I, I meet with Peter. You know why? Because Peter did life with Jesus, literally. He walked with him, talked with him, knew his jokes, knew his smell, everything about him. If I was Paul, I would have met up with Peter and asked him millions of questions. What is Jesus like here? What is Jesus like here? And that's what they did for 15 days. And then after that, Paul goes on a mission trip for 14 years. He begins to go to the areas where Paul has a reputation. He's notorious for killing Christians. He goes to these areas where people are afraid of him. And he starts preaching the gospel. He starts testifying what God did in his life. He starts preaching the good news of Jesus Christ for 14 years. And after 14 years, he goes back to home base. Home base is Jerusalem. And he meets up with Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were disciples who literally walked with Jesus. And he goes up to them and said, this is the gospel that I'm preaching. I did not consult with any of you guys. I didn't consult with anybody. This is a direct revelation that I got. And as he shared the gospel with them, every single one of them were like, that's right. That's a legit gospel. That's what we believe too. And then Paul goes on, continuing his missionary journey. And he goes up to Antioch. He's in this place in Antioch, a Gentile area. And that's where we land today. That's where we land today. The point of that I wanted to share was this. Keep this in mind. Peter confirmed, gave the right hand of fellowship. The Bible says, confirmed Paul. Paul came to Peter to authorize him, right? And then here we go. We read in verse 11. Oh, I forgot. I had slides. I got to turn this on. Hold on one second. All right. All right. Paul says in Galatians, let's go to the text. It says, but when Cephas, Cephas is Peter in Aramaic. Okay. When Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul was in Antioch, and when Peter came, Peter did something. Peter did something where Paul, it says, he, he, I, I fronted him. I confronted him to his face. Right? Why? Why? Before we get into that, let's talk about Peter. Let's get to know Peter for a little bit, all right? Hold on one second. To understand the situation and what's going on here, we have to get to know Peter. Now, Peter, I love Peter, all right? Um, how, many, how many of you guys watch NBA basketball, right? Sports, NBA basketball. Oh, wow. This, is, this ain't going to work. <laughs> I'll do my best to describe. When I watch NBA basketball, I love basketball. It's the end of the season now. So all I'm doing right now, I'm watching the highlights on YouTube. I'm watching the highlights of all these players, of all their highlight plays. And it's like amazing, right? But in the NBA, there's this show. It's called Shaq and a Fool, all right? 
this guy named Shaq, he makes this show called Shaq in a Fool. What he does, he, compile, he, com- he compiles, not the highlights, he compiles the lowlights of each of the players, and he, and he begins to show them. And there's one specific player that Shaquille O'Neal, he picks on, and he is, uh, his name is JaVale McGee, because he always be messing up. So he has all these video of his lowlights, right? I feel like Peter, unlike all the other disciples, uh, other than Judas, Peter, the Bible portrays him a lot like Shaq in the Fool, where it just displays his lowlights, right? He has a lot of highlights, but he displays a lot of his lowlights. And this is one of them. Peter. He's a Jewish fisherman. He's one of the first followers of Jesus Christ. He is a recipient and eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. What does this mean? Peter, he experienced Jesus firsthand. He experienced what kind of people Jesus loved. He experienced some of the preaching, some of the preaching that Jesus did, some of the things that Jesus declared. Peter was right there to listen. Peter experienced and witnessed the extravagant love of Christ as he walked the earth firsthand. Literally, he saw the gospel lived out through Jesus Christ. That's Peter, right? His personality, if I were to say one word to describe Peter, it's zeal. He's passionate, zealous, passionate. He had a pretty, like a gruff personality. Gruff, okay. That's not a word. Is it a word? Gruff, like, like a, he's a little rough around the edges. Rash personality, right? He, he was a man's man, right? He, he's one of the sons of thunder. That's an epic name, right? As a fisherman, he dealt with many storms in the Sea of Galilee. So to some degree, he had no fear of those things, right? He was impulsive and he was headstrong, right? He didn't think much. He just did things without thinking. That's why I relate to him, right? That's why I relate to him. Zeal without wisdom. That's Peter, right? I relate to that, all right? Now, when, I, when you think of Peter, who do you picture? Who do you picture, all right? You know who I picture? I picture this guy. I picture, <laughs> I picture Aquaman, all right? Marvel is Aquaman, all right? I, I, I picture Peter <laughs> to be like this, all right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, right? Aquaman. All right, next slide. All right, sorry. Let's go back, all right. Sorry, ladies. Sorry, ladies. All right. Peter, Aquaman, he walked on water, right? Peter, he's the one who cut off the soldier's ear when they tried to arrest Jesus, when he knew that they were going to arrest him anyways. Peter, he's the one, he even rebuked the Son of God. Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, Jesus is saying, I came, they're going to take, you know, they're, they're going to take me, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise again, and Peter rebukes him, saying, nah. Peter, come on, man. Peter's the one where, when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, he's not really thinking about what's going on, he's like, no, I want you to wash my whole body, right? He just, he just says things, Peter. And what he's most famous for is, he denies Jesus three times because of the fear of men. He says, I'll never, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter says, I'll never fall away. And then these little kids show up saying, hey, aren't you the guy that hangs out, kicks it with Jesus? And he's like, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times and the rooster crows. 
He denies Jesus three times. He's very well acquainted with failure. But Peter, he also understands the gentleness. He also experienced the mercy of Jesus, the tenderness of Jesus. Because when Jesus rose again, he's cooking some fish. And he invites, Jesus, he invites Peter over and says, hey, come have breakfast with me. And then he restores him. He, he, he reinstates him. And three times he says, what? He says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Right? Peter. He witnessed the ascension of Jesus. He saw that. Can you imagine? Like, <laughs> he saw that. He literally saw that. And then right after that, what happens? If you continue to read about Peter, you know what he does? All this to say, he begins to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter, he, begins, he raises the dead. He begins to preach the gospel with boldness. All this to say, Peter, he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus really well. He knew Jesus. He was intimate with Jesus. He had the revelation of Jesus being the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. I know who you are, Peter. He may not have been the most educated, but he had all that he needed. And all that he needed was the revelation of Jesus. And then he continued to preach to the Jewish people. Then one day, the game changer happened. Then one day, a monumental thing happened. Peter, he eats too much fried chicken. He passes out and he has this vision. He has this trance. And in this vision, this sheet, this huge sheet falls from heaven. And on this sheet is all these animals, these reptiles, pigs, all these animals that to the Jew... To, to the Jewish person, all these animals are considered unclean. All the sheep falls down, and then God tells him in that vision, Peter, wake up, rise, it's time for lunch. I want you to rise and eat these things. And Peter's like, What? His whole life, he hasn't been able to eat these things as a Jewish man. And this is what happens. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I went backwards. This is what happens. He says this. But Peter said, and God said him, told him, eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him saying a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call them unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So Peter, he sees his vision three times. And Peter's like, I get it, you know. You always have to show me three times, right? That's how I relate to Peter as well. I'm very forgetful. People have to tell me, like, more than three times, right? So he gets this vision. His whole life, he thinks these animals are unclean. And the God directly tells him, hey, don't call that unclean what I call clean. Rise and eat. Right after this vision, he wakes up, and this guy comes through. He meets this guy. His name is Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. 
Cornelius is a Gentile, and Peter, he did not grow up hanging out with Gentiles as a Jew. Check this out. It says this. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, this is what Peter says. This is crucial. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew like myself to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Boom. And then Peter says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is a complete change in his operating system. His whole life, he's been... He's been taught saying, don't associate with non-Jews. Don't associate with Gentiles. They're considered dirty. But God is telling him, nope, they're not dirty. Don't call them unclean. Hang out with Cornelius. And then what happens? I love this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So Peter begins to preach to the Gentiles. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Hallelujah. Right? Even on the Gentiles. Let me walk us through this. Peter, he gets his vision. Don't call them unclean. And then he meets Cornelius. Okay, he's not unclean. He's a Gentile. And then he gets this experience where he preaches the gospel. And then God pours out his spirit on all these people who are not Jews. What does this mean? Peter, he's not used to this. Peter, when he was at Pentecost in the upper room, he was used to seeing all these Jews getting blessed by the Holy Spirit. But now he's seeing Gentiles, non-Jews, being blasted by the Holy Spirit. And this is where Peter receives his revelation. The aha moment is, oh, God shows no partiality. Whether Jew Jew or Gentile. Mm -mm. God shows no partiality. Can you imagine Peter though? Imagine the sudden change of framework, operating system that he has to go through. Because you know what Peter does? He starts hanging out with Gentiles when his whole life he didn't. He starts associating, having fellowship, eating together with Gentiles. Can you imagine that? Eating together with food that they've never, like, now, they're, now he's sitting down. There's carnitas, there's sunde, there's sangyapsar. You know what I'm saying? This, that adjustment is crazy. Right? You guys are thinking about what to eat after this service now, right? And it's like in India, there's a caste system, right? And the top caste, they're called the Brahmin caste. And the lowest caste, they're called the untouchables. What a hor- horrible name, right? It's like a Brahmin just gets this revelation. 
right? That God sees us all as equal. He loves each and every one of us equally. And then he begins to make life adjustments and start hanging out with untouchables. That's quite an adjustment. I don't think that comes overnight. Peter, this is what he's going through. I love this. Pastor Sam Song, when he came through uh, to New Philly, I have to quote him because I can't come up with uh, vocabulary like this. He says this. He says that we all go through what you call intellectual conviction and volitional surrender of our will. See, I can't come up with that, right? <laughs> Sam Song said that. He says, in order to live by faith, we have our intellectual conviction. We believe things. We say yes and amen to things. But then our volitional our voluntary will to actually take action to what we believe. That's when faith comes out into action. And this is what Peter's doing. Peter's like, oh, I got this crazy revelation that might ruin my reputation as a Jew. But I'm going to act on it. And I'm going to hang out with Gentiles. This is, what, this is what he's doing. And so that's the context. Here we go. Verse 12 and 13. This is why Peter rebukes him to his face. It says this. Before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. He's been eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, certain men came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Hey. Right. You see, in Antioch, keep in mind that Peter, he was living by faith at first, right? He was associating and, and, and eating with Jews. I mean, Gentiles. He hasn't been doing that his whole life, right? And then all of a sudden... This group of men from Jerusalem come, right? It says in this passage, certain men came from James, right? James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. So what this passage is saying is that these, there's these men that came from Jerusalem. And then when they showed up, Peter saw them and was like, oh, snap. And he began to back away. He switched tables. I'm going to sit with my Jewish friends. Right in front of the Gentiles. And Paul sees this. And he's angry. This is what's going on. What was it about these people that caused Peter to do this? These people were people, yeah, they believed. Remember the whole tip thing, right? These people, people who believed in Jesus, but they were the people that saying, hey, you can believe in Jesus, but you have to do all these things too. These were Jews that were coming up to him, and Peter what are the reasons why he backed away? Why did he back away? Peter, there were many reasons why he backed away. The first was this. He was afraid of their criticism. He was afraid of what they thought of him. He had the fear of man in him. Because Peter may have, may have gotten that crazy revelation, but the other Jews, they didn't get that revelation. So what would they think of me if they saw me associating with the Gentiles? So he backs away, right? So Peter, what does he do? He relapses. He relapses. He drew himself away from the Gentiles. And P Peter, even though he didn't say anything, guess what? 
Peter, his actions communicated something serious enough that it warranted a public and strong rebuke from Paul. Guess what? The Jewish believers that were with Peter, they followed suit. Paul's right-hand man, Barnabas, they did missions together. Peter led him astray, even. They all backed away from the Gentiles. And then when he separated himself, stay with me, guys, right? When he separated himself from the Gentiles, you know what he was communicating to the Gentiles by doing that? He was communicating this. You can join our table. You will be accepted and treated as if you were accepted if you become like us. He was saying, behave in this way and do this and that in order to be accepted. Get on our level. We are the standard, so you must meet this standard to be a part of us. This is what Peter's move was communicating. His actions display the very antithesis of the gospel. He was reinforcing the false gospel that the Judaizers were saying. And this humbles the heck out of me. You know why? Because guess what? Remember who Peter is. The zealous man. The passionate man who had the revelation of Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. Who walked with Jesus. Who saw Jesus. He saw Jesus eating with Gentiles. Peter, this passionate man, raising the dead, walking in signs and wonders, proclaiming the gospel, doing all these things that we adore as a leader, but yet we see him not living out. He's falling out of line with the gospel. What does this tell me? What does this tell us? Is this, we can be as passionate as we want. We can walk in signs and wonders. We can walk in the fire of God. We can claim to know Jesus and walk with him just as Peter did. But I want to let us know here that we're not, we're not, we're not immune from disaligning with the gospel. Actually, more often, and more often than not, guess what? We often... Do this like Peter. Passionate at times. But we, all, all of us as well. We don't keep in step with the gospel that we so claim we believe. And I'll be the first one to admit that. That's Peter. Peter, when he separated himself. And there's this thing that I want to share with us today. One of the biggest reasons why Peter separated himself is this. His action communicated what you call elitism. Everyone say, can you say elitism? Elitism is when you have a mindset, a superiority complex. When you or the group that you're associated with, that you think you're better than anybody else. Elitism. You see, Peter, he demonstrated elitism because as a Jew, as a Jew, at first he humbled himself. You know, he was living. But when he separated himself, what was he communicating? You guys are not like us. 
you guys are not welcome unless you become like us. That's what he was communicating. Brothers and sisters, under the umbrella of elitism, when, when, we, when we get in bed with elitism, you know what comes out? All these other isms. Racism comes out. Classism comes out. Sexism comes out. All these isms. That's anti-gospel. Anti-gospel isms. That all of us are not immune from. If we were to be honest. And another example I want to use is this. This kind of legalism and anti-gospel living. We can even be seen. In the church. In the church. Even in the church. We may build systems. Out of fear. That creates hierarchy. That's more political. That's not aligned with the gospel. It can create a culture. In a church where there are levels. And people have to strive And work their butts off in order to be accepted by another hierarchy. Anti-gospel. You know, when churches begin to compare, even churches as a whole, begin to compare themselves to other churches, that's elitism as well. You know, when we begin to speak stuff like God, like holy things on the outside, right? You know, I have a confession to make. You know, when I first came to Korea, and when I was very zealous, you know, with ministry here, I have a confession to make. I I, I started saying things without even thinking. Stuff like this. God is going to use Korean Americans. God is going to use English-speaking churches to bring revival to Korea. Read between the lines. What does that say? That God can't use the Korean churches. That God's going to use the English-speaking churches to bring revival where Korean churches can't. You know, I started believing these things. You know, we don't know if that's true or not. But my heart, where it was, elitism. Distancing myself from other churches. When we start comparing our style of ministry to other churches... And have this superiority complex. Naturally, you know what happens? We start, we don't, we don't engage in relationships with people from other churches. There's not authentic love for our own brothers and sisters in Christ of other churches because of this elitist mentality. At the table of Christ, everybody belongs. But when when elitism gets in, when legalism gets in, you know what happens? Like Peter, we separate ourselves. And we join another table and said, you got to be charismatic like us. Mm. You see, whether someone is charismatic, super spiritual, or conservative, both can fall under legalism. Both can fall under elitism. It's anti-gospel here, guys. Anti-gospel. 
is when we've done this too. Using negative examples of other churches to bolster or promote our own. That's elitism as well. Right? Let me say this loud and clear. When God blesses us, it's purely because of grace. I'm going to say that again. When God blesses a church and great things are happening, fruitfulness is happening at a church, it's purely because of grace. It's not been earned. It's all God. He's the one who builds the church. So we should not boast in anything good that happens at any church, except that it's all God. Amen? Amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. In no way are we superior at the table of God. People or churches may be different, but our preference, our preference and prejudices should not misalign us from gospel perspective toward one another. Mm. Right. It can be individual elitism, group elitism, national or ethnic elitism. Can you imagine how the Gentiles felt here? The Gentiles, their whole life, they already know. Our Jews don't associate it with us. They think we're dirty. And then now these Jews encounter the gospel. They start saying, preaching stuff like, hey, we're all equal, actually. God sees us all the same. So they're all eating together. And all of a sudden, they're warming up. They're warming up. They're being all relational. And then, boom, they back away. You know, if I were... One of the Gentiles, you know what I would be thinking? I would lose my trust. My trust would be damaged. You know what I'd be thinking? Maybe Peter was using relationship to manipulate me. To manipulate me into following these Jewish customs. Maybe Peter claimed that you don't have to get circumcised. But maybe Peter was... Being all nice. So I trust him. And then all of a sudden, I got to do all these things. Maybe this was going on. You see, I would doubt if I was a Gentile. Right? Peter's action was crucial. At the core of his heart, he didn't fully believe in how God sees Gentiles. The revelation was there, but it was still growing. He was still a work in progress much like you and I are still a work in progress, right? You know, I believe that our metric of success as Christians, our metric of success as Christians, it's not numbers. It's not rah-rah, like, it's not being loud. It's not all these things on the outside. It's very simple. I feel like the litmus test of how the gospel is transforming our hearts and our lives, I believe it's this. How well do we love those who are different than us? How well do we love those who are different than us? Let me ask us a question. At your table fellowship, who's there? At your table fellowship, who's there? Guys, it's hard. We all have hurts and insecurities. We all grew up in systems that may not align with the gospel. But praise be to God. Because His Holy Spirit is doing a work, doing a work in us. 
where we forget about our own tables, we join the table of Christ. Where there is no prejudice. There is no elitism. There's just brother and sister. Amen? And then he rebukes. It continues. says this. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, what are you doing? And Peter said, I didn't say anything. You're doing it. You're displaying it. How can you associate with Gentiles? That's great. But and then by your actions, show them that you have to be like us. That's not the gospel. That's not the truth that we proclaim here. That's what he's saying. Their conduct, their living out was not in alignment with their conviction. Right? There, um, here it says, their conduct was not in step. That word in step in the Greek is orthopodio. Orthopodio. Ortho means to be upright, to be in line. That's where we get the word orthodontist. Right? When our teeth get jacked up. Right? Or they put our teeth back in line. Right? With embraces. That's what ortho is. Right? Orthodoxy. Right belief. Orthodoxy means believing the right thing. Right? But orthopraxis is the right living. You see... When it comes to the gospel, you know what God's doing in each and every one of us? Because of his commitment to our sanctification, you know what he's doing? He's aligning our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. He's doing it in us, guys. Amen. And lastly, I'm almost done here. Here it is. After the rebuke, now Paul is bringing Peter into realignment. Peter's, Paul's putting those spiritual braces on, on Peter, and he's bringing back in alignment, all right? Here we go. It says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. You see, when it says right here, we ourselves are Jews. Paul's talking to Peter and say, hey, we're Jews. We're Jews, right? And not Gentile sinners. I don't like the ESV's translation because he sounds very arrogant. If you read the other translations, the, the literal translation, it's talking about we are not sinners of the Gentiles. Which means this. They're also Jewish sinners. All right? He's not, he's not counting himself out, right? He's saying this, Gentile to him means person that does not know God. That's what it means. Heathen, right? When we say heathen, we have a negative connotation. But literally, it just means person that does not know God. Check this out. This is, this is critical, right? Paul, he's saying to Peter, hey, we're Jews, which means this. We, we are God's people by covenant. We are elect. Yeah, I get it. We have an ascribed status, right? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about my, our, our, our status. It doesn't matter about what we believe. What matters is this. At the end of the day, the end all be all is whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we all fall on the same ground. We're all sinners saved by grace and grace alone. 
That's what he's trying to communicate here. Jews by birth, chosen people ethnically, God's covenant people. This does not mean that Jews were not sinners in need of God's grace, right? And this is the point I want to emphasize. The Jews were chosen and they were privileged. Everyone say privileged. They were elect people of God. But they were not superior in God's sight. Let me say that again. Privilege does not equate to superiority. Okay? Let me explain. You see, some people, they grow up in life with privilege. They can't do anything about it. We all have privileges in different ways in our lives, in different areas of our lives. But I want to get one thing straight. Privilege does not mean superiority whatsoever. You see, privilege, we got to get this, privilege, when it comes to privilege yoked with humility, that leads to stewardship. Stewardship. But when we have privilege with pride, that leads to elitism. Let's say that again. Privilege with humility, it leads to stewardship, servant-heartedness, blessed to be a blessing. But privilege with pride, privilege where the gospel doesn't transform the heart, it leads to elitism legalism, slavery. You see, many of us, we have many privileges in our own lives. With privilege comes responsibility. All privileges is grace. All it is is grace, guys. You see, when Paul says this, he drops the plumb line. This is a plumb line, guys. A plumb line is a string where there's a lead weight attached to the bottom, and it drops, and the guy holds it there. It's used for construction, where he holds it next to a building to see if it's in line or not, to see if it's straight. You see, Peter, he got out of line. And what Paul does, he says, no, you and I, Jew or Gentile, we are justified by grace and grace alone. He drops that plumb line of the gospel. You and I, brothers and sisters, every day, More often than we think, we need to return and look at this plumb line again and again and again. Because more often than not, just like Peter, we do misalign with the gospel. The way we treat people, the way we view people, our own prejudices that we grow up with, our own pride that we have to deal with, how we love those who are different than us, those are are the things that are not aligned with this plumb line of the gospel. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Keller says this, Christian living is a continual realignment process. One of bringing everything in line with the truth of the gospel. Amen? Paul is communicating no matter what race, ethnicity, class, denomination, church, etc. We all stand on level ground, sinners saved by grace. The gospel, brothers and sisters, is the great equalizer. The gospel is a great equalizer. It brings things into perspective. It brings things into perspective. It gives context to when Jesus commanded us, love your neighbors. Who are your neighbors? Those who are most like us? No. Our neighbors are those who are most different than us. Look at the life of Jesus. 
He hung out with the most unlikely people, the broken, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, those whom society deemed as, quote-unquote, untouchable. But Jesus sees them differently, and so should we. So should we. Amen? Yeah, I'm going to close with this. I promise. (laughs) I'm going to close with this. You know, when it comes to the table of fellowship that Peter backed away from, we too are invited to the table of fellowship with Christ himself. Imagine a table with Christ there. Who do you think would be there? You know who would be there? All people that don't deserve the love of Christ. At this table would be all people that Christ has every right to separate himself from. But he doesn't. He doesn't back away like Peter. He stays. He stays. There's no one like Christ. There's no love like Christ. There's no humility like Christ. He will never separate himself from us. We can't forget that our identity does not take root in our ethnicity, social class, any worldly or man-made association. Our primary identity is simple. We are sinners saved by grace. Children of God. Amen? You see, Christ causes us to live in true humility and be secure in our own acceptance in Him. The Gentiles do not become clean and acceptable by doing circumcision and laws. In the same way, we do not become clean and acceptable in the same way. Our identity and status is not achieved, but ascribed. Turn to your neighbor and say, your identity is ascribed. It's given to us, not earned. It is given to us, not earned. And our contribution is not any of our merits, but our contribution is actually our demerit. It's our sin, our demerit that we, con- that we contribute, that we contribute. Yeah. Amen? I pray that the truth of the gospel continues to transform and renew our minds. May the humility and example of Christ be our anchor. May the gospel of grace be our constant plumb line. And I pray that the Holy Spirit's revelation brings us constant alignment to gospel living. Amen? Yeah, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that day in and day out, you invite us to your table. And the invitation is open, whether we come or not. But I thank you that you'll always be present at that table. That Jesus, when you look at us, And Father, when you look at us, you see righteousness. You see the righteousness of Jesus upon us. Jesus, we ask you, as Paul prayed, would you renew our minds 
as we're so, we're so prone to wander, God, into the patterns of this world. We're so prone to wander, God, into our own standards that are not of your kingdom. But Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would continue to renew our minds and that we would be able to love one another in a way that is godly, in a way that is Christ-like. So thank you, Father. I pray that the gospel may not only transform and renew our minds, but revive our hearts. And may it lead to us loving one another and loving this world in a way that you call us to, God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.